This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business live. I said, oh, I can tell you a secret about being an entrepreneur. I said, um, you need, I said, yeah, I know. I'm really conscious that when you're at school, teachers tell you you have to be good at everything. Um, but this is not true. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, which I'm sure many of you will be, you need to know two things. You need to know two things indeed if you want to be an entrepreneur, according to Caroline Allams. Now, I've taken her quote there slightly out of context, but Caroline is our guest for today. She's the co-founder of Natterhub, and the quote came from a presentation she gave. Now, you'll have to listen on to find out what those two things are, the secrets of being an entrepreneur. But this is a wonderful tour, a whistle-stop whirlwind tour of entrepreneurship. We call this Entrepreneurship 101. When it comes to finding a complementary founder, when it comes to building a team and supporting that team to make and take decisions and, crucially, to be able to make mistakes and learn, and much, much more. But Natterhub, well, what is it? It is a fascinating business. Founded by Caroline Allams, along with Manjeet Serene, Natterhub is an educational social media platform. It was created to prepare primary school children to thrive online. It has interactive lessons, giving children the skills they need to stay safe in a digital landscape and to develop media literacy. Much, much more. And some interesting facts and figures and stats from Caroline in the interview today. Now, if you're an eagle-eared listener, you may have realised that this is an interview that we originally broadcast last year in July 2021. It was very, very popular at the time. People found it extremely useful. And since then, of course, we have interviewed Manjeet Serene, who is Caroline's co-founder on the show. Also a fascinating tour de force of an interview with loads of helpful tips. So I thought it would be very helpful to broadcast this interview once again with Caroline Allams, originally first broadcast in July 2021 on today's episode of Business Live, 18th of March 2022. And I hope that you will find it as useful as other people have found it already. We're open for Business Live. Caroline Allams joining us today. Caroline, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Can you introduce Natterhub, please? Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, Natterhub is a gated social media platform that has been designed specifically for primary schools as an early intervention teaching and learning platform to teach everything children need to know about being on a screen. It's It's got interactive lessons inside, over 300 actually, for, for children between the ages of 5 to 11. And I can immediately see the attraction to this. Many folk have been very, very worried about the online environment and what might happen when the children go online. But But what was the sort of why then in terms of what made you set up, uh, co-found Natterhub. What what was the sort of spark for you? Um, I was already running an educational company in the personal social development area and really passionately believe that if we look after children's well-being and their social and, and emotional progress, then really they stand, they stood in su- such greater stead for academic success and and moreover um, are more likely to be happy and live a you know a more fruitful life so um, 
I was at the stage with my business where I thought I was ready to tackle the thing that frightened me most about children's well-being. And actually, this was about eight years ago when my children were still young. And I thought as a parent and also as a teacher, this notion that we just put children online um, and hope for the best seemed preposterous um, when every other facet of child development where there is potential risk we uh, educate them to avoid the the possible pitfalls whether it's learning to swim or riding a bike or even crossing the road has its own code but this idea that we put children on the internet with without uh, w- which was never designed with children in mind and mm. we just kind of hope for the best with a few random um suggestions of of keeping safe online so i thought you know with my um, background in education i spent over 15 years in in the classroom and in senior management in schools and i i could just see um I had a vision for um, embedding the new the um, the genre of of social media and digital communication into you know more innovative classroom, um, I could see that that would only benefit children so that they could thrive in a digital landscape. So how how does it work then? You mentioned three hundred or more interactive lessons online, and keeping people safe in an environment. And I know it kind of it looks and it feels like social media, but it's it's what we might call a sandbox environment as well. How does it all? How does it work for a child? They log on to they go on to Natahub, and, and what's the experience? Well, um, yeah, I'm really glad that you picked up on the sandbox environment because, as a teacher, um, and I know for anybody listening who's a parent as well, we know that when experiences for children mimic real life. Um, there's there are so many learning opportunities that can take place and so I really um, wanted to create a safe space which really did look and feel like real social media but was gated to the classroom environment so that it wasn't just a case of learning you know from a through a didactic approach where children were being told um, oh make a safe password and don't talk to strangers online it made sense to me that if we create um, uh, that sandbox environment which children can know how it feels to be online and make mistakes, which of course we know is important in learning, um, and and, and that it's a forgiving environment so that they can pick themselves up and carry on and learn from those mistakes, then the impact of that online teaching and learning would be such a such a greater experience for children an environment that's realistic but with the risks stripped away from it removed from it and like you said earlier i mean it's, it's like throwing someone into a swimming pool and saying yeah you know get on with swimming <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. do that would we um, no we wouldn't and and nor would we try and teach them how to swim without putting them in in a pool so um again the the design and the and the framework that that is natahub um not only allows a teacher to teach um about a genre through a, through the genre of social media so the lessons are really you know really worked hard to make them engaging and and fast paced because this is a environment that children are used to outside of school but then they're able to apply what they've learned in that safe space so um 
again, using the swimming analogy um, is a really helpful one because it allows children then to have that time at the end of a swimming lesson to play around in the shallow end and, and practice what, what they've been taught during, during a lesson. When it came to founding it and setting it up and getting it going, something like this is resource intensive when it comes to the, uh, the, the development, the time and the cost and the expense of creating and designing both the user experience um, and the actual content that, that you've talked about on, online as well. And I know that uh, you are working with Twinklehive, which is a business accelerator, which we've mentioned on the show in the past a couple of times. But tell us a little bit more about how you got Nata Hub up and running, the development stages, perhaps the support you've had from Twinklehive or the partnership you're in with Twinklehive and so on, and, um, and where you've gone from idea to inception and delivery. Yeah, wow, what what a mammoth question that is. <laughs> yeah, I saw the whole journey flash in front of my eyes as you were just working your way through that question. Um, uh, so I actually had had the idea, as I mentioned earlier, when my son was just one. He's now nine and a half. Um, so it was some time ago and certainly I came up against some resistance from, from friends and colleagues that I mentioned the idea to, um, that idea of putting social media in the classroom. And of course it was, I I was, you know, I had a look of horror. Um, but it, it only made sense to me that if it was done well and, and properly with, with real integrity and real, um, pedagogical understanding then there was a chance that we could get it right but yeah you're absolutely right the resource required to to get to that point has been has been um you know some somewhat overwhelming at times and and actually was even back then was overwhelming enough for me to put the idea to bed um after a couple of years of exploring how it might come about I then uh, decided no this was this was this was not for a creative teacher um and required a different skill set so I put it to bed and actually I was talking um, about the idea uh, a few years later at a children's party and my now business partner, Manjit, her husband overheard me talking about the idea. Uh, Manjit at the time was looking for something. She'd she'd been at home after many years in business, but she'd been at home looking after her boys. She was ready for a new challenge. Um, and I knew of Manjit because our boys were really good friends at preschool. Yeah. And she um, she actually contacted me and said, how didn't I know about this idea of yours? I We need to do this. Um, and she came from the business uh, background that I so, you know, needed in order to get, uh, to get progress further. So we, we researched for years, three or four years actually on um, talking to teachers, talking to schools, exploring what was happening already in schools around the online safety space. Um, And we, we started to build um, just a, a, a story of a storyboard of, of ideas. Um, we had so many iterations. As a creative, I uh, tend to think 
across the board um, and, and Manjit's um, logical brain was brilliant for me because um, she forced me uh, to, to develop a, an MVP, which was not easy, to strip it right back and, and say, what is it that schools need to start with and what can we build onto that in future? So we, um, after many, um, many rewrites of the, of the scope and the, and the business plan, we, um, we went out looking for investment and we had the same response every time we went out, which it was, this is great. This is really needed. This is, I can see how this is a solution. It's a very zeitgeist proposal. Um, this is something that we can all see that our, our young people really need, but, the problem, the blocker was always the same. How are you going to get this into school? Um, and then when we um, decided to contact uh, Twinkle, we had no idea about their plans for Twinkle Hive. Mm. So um, it was, you know, really exciting when they straight away said, yeah, come and talk to us about it. Um, and obviously Twinkle at the time were, a, you know, already a successful company, um, in, yes. in reaching, you know, 97% of schools um, in the UK. And, um, and they said, we thought we'd thought of everything, but we hadn't thought of that. Um, so we'd really like you to be involved. Um, and we were the first, um, first company to join their Twinkle Hive, um, a badge we wear very proudly. Um, and, and what was great about joining Twinkle is that suddenly I had you know, the privilege of, of working with a room full of educators rather than just things bouncing around my own teacher brain. And, yes. and um, Manjit and I have worked so successfully with Twinkle in, um, I've been uh, very product focused, overseeing uh, the development of the content, the teacher content. Um, Manjit has been instrumental in, in navigating the resources. Um, we had both cash and um, human resources as part of the investment that came from, from Twinkle Hive. And, and Manjit's been um, amazing at building building the, the, the right team at the right time with the right time frame so that we um, were able actually to launch last um, last April in the in the middle of the first lockdown um, yes. at a time when children really needed something to be able to communicate and and stay connected um, with their friends um, so really that was that was our point where we 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 got to where we were you know, just pushing, pushing to get to, to get to that launch. Uh, yes. and it wasn't ready. The tool was full of bugs and it was actually nerve wracking. Um, but we've only been met with the most amazing positivity and, uh, and forgiveness for it not being ready because we had the, and we've had a, a really amazing, uh, trajectory, um, since, since our launch, um, we've managed to, have over 4,000 signups from, mm -hmm. from schools around um, over 60 countries around the world. Um, so I think it, it, it really demonstrates that that notion of online vulnerability is its own pandemic, actually, yeah. um, where Most there's technology, there are children uh, vulnerable online. Where there's technology, there are children vulnerable, yes. And I know you have some um, really frightening statistics and data from some research that you've published recently about that, which I, I, I'm going to ask you about in a moment or two. It absolutely demonstrates 
Um, well, exactly what you said, where there's technology, um, children, children are vulnerable. Um, but what you said there in your answer to, 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 like you said, it was a big question in terms of the <laughs> development of NASA Hub and a comprehensive answer. Thank you. There's so much that came up there. I mean, fascinating about how co-founders with complementary skills. Yeah. That makes such a powerful team, a great team for, to develop something and to take an idea forward. And the power also of an MVP that gets mm. out that sort of what the school's utter priorities are, mm. that's it, putting that into your MVP or putting that into, a, you know, an MVP for any customer base. This is a business and social enterprise show, as you know. But get that MVP right. And even if there are issues to address, to develop and so on, um, you have, but if you have focused on their biggest problem or issues or priorities, then, well, as you said yourself, I'm, you know, there can be perhaps a lot of forgiveness for any bugs or, or issues if you if you've got the sort of crucial, essential elements of the MVP, right? As you so so clearly did, and, and Caroline, you said four thousand plus schools have signed up already. So, um, in terms of NASA Hub, the revenue model is in about income from schools schools pay is that correct yes it's a SaaS model um we um initially launched the product um for free as many ed tech companies did in that space um to support children's learning and children's well-being and um we we were really excited to to be able to do the same and um yeah just recently we we've started converting from that freemium um model to to schools subscription um annual subscription based on um bandings schools of different sizes we really have worked hard to create something that's as affordable for schools we're very aware of school budgets and uh, school budget cuts um, but we were fortunate also to to um, as we were developing um, the MVP that the curriculum changes within the national curriculum um, were such that online safety became part of a, a new compulsory subject in um, relationships um, and health education, um, which was great. Uh, for us, it's only a stepping, it's only a, it's a good start. Um, and we'd really like to continue the campaign to raise its profile even further if we're to do, um, you know, do what children you know, and offer them what, what they need and what they have a right to, I think, to, to be able to thrive in that in that space. For schools, what, what's also been um, really great for us is that um, as part of that model, we're able to tap into different budgets within schools um, because we fit. We've worked really hard to embed online, online safety and, and media literacy across a curriculum. So for schools um, and their budgets, we, we tick a number number of their boxes which I also think has been a really key um key strategy um yes. in 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 achieving um you know in in closing those deals with schools yes I, I, I imagine it must be Caroline I, I want to come on to the statistics in a moment or two but as 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 we're on a business show it would be great if you can mention any other tips or insights when it comes to finding a co-founder you described how you and Manjit met and that was really really interesting and and kind of clicked and have the complementary skills for people who are looking to develop an idea 
and looking for a co-founder. You know, what, what's the sort of secret of your and Manjit's <laughs> success in terms of, of <laughs> what of, a great question business relationship? Yeah, um, I love that. I love this question, and it's amazing that you've asked it in this week um, on Tuesday. Um, I was really, really fortunate to be able to visit one of our schools um, in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. And that's because um, somebody wanted to interview the children who've been using Natterhub to talk about their media literacy skills that have been developed as a result of using the platform. Mm -hmm. And I, we carried out the interview and then I had some time to be able to be in their lesson with them. They were a year five class, so around the age of 10. Yeah. And I was talking to them about, they were quite um, very flattering, but they were (laughs) quite (laughs) excited to be in the room with an entrepreneur, which I, you know, found amusing. Um, Hardly Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Um, (laughs) But I said, um, I said, Oh, I can tell you a secret about being an entrepreneur. I said, "Um, you need, I said, yeah, I know. I'm really conscious that when you're at school, teachers tell you you have to be good at everything. Um, but this is not true. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, which I'm sure many of you will be, you need to know two things. One is that you have to have a, a really good idea that is a solution um, to a problem, usually. Um, and the second thing is you have to know what you're bad at. Um, and they kind of looked at me, you know, like, what? What do you mean? Nobody at school talks about what we're bad at. We have to talk about what we're good at. Um, and, and of course, in, in finding a co-founder, I think that really is the secret uh, for, for us, is that we've always been really open and honest about our strengths and our weaknesses. It sounds probably very uh, a simplified version of, of explanation, but um, I am very aware that um, I have... Um, you know, the ability to think creatively and I'm really passionate about design and, and look and feel. I can get really excited about a font. Um, and I'm really passionate about, about education and, and putting children really at the heart of, of um, educational products so that they benefit the most. Um, and Manjit is, you know, when I first met her, I was really aware that we had such different experiences, different Mm. approaches, different personalities. Um, And I've learned so much from her. And I think as we've built the team um, as well, even beyond the co-founders, I think really it's necessary to put egos aside and celebrate each other's strengths and and really have the confidence to ask for help, you know, to have the ability to put your hands up and say, I actually know nothing about the, what you're talking about. So I need to learn from you or please, you know, you guide on this section of the business. Mm. I will trust you. And equally, you know, being able to... Um, you know, give responsibility to the, according to people's strengths. Um, and I think that's difficult if you, if you've had a vision for something or if you've got an idea and, and of course Manjit feels just as, um, invested emotionally and personally in, in the product, even though, you know, originally it came from my idea. We've absolutely acknowledged that we've both been integral to getting the product to this point. But I think sometimes for, 
for founders or, or even co-founders, you become so close to your product that sometimes it's difficult to step back and be objective. And, and certainly I found it very difficult to, to narrow down the MVP because, of course, I was you know, I was adamant that all of it was necessary and all of it was, you know, you couldn't possibly prioritize certain aspects of it because it was all integral to the success of the, of the end product. But I was wrong. I just needed to step back and, and allow, you know, Manjit's logic to come in and say, look, we can come back to that later. You just park that for now and let's just sit with it and see what happens. But actually we can't afford to lose, you know, A, B and C. We need to hold on to that and we can build, well, let's build those foundations and, 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 you know, work it out from there. But mm. I think it, I think it's, um, I think really it's been the openness that we have. We both say if there's ever anything, we, we just need to get it out. Yes. And we can always work through things. Um, we've been really fortunate and I, I feel so grateful that we have never not been able to, um, you know, work something out we're so often aligned and now actually we joke with everybody that works with us that we've actually morphed into the same person (laughs) I've become more logical she's become more creative and aware of um she she, she'll be able to for you know preempt oh I know Caroline's going to have something to say about that (laughs) font um so we've actually you know I think we've we've um really yeah become very close probably closer with each other than our own husbands (laughs) (laughs) i mean this is fascinating this is really interesting and those school children were very lucky to hear your answer there but to be honest what you've just said should be entrepreneurship 101 really anyone (laughs) thinking of um, starting or growing a business should have a listen to what you've just said when it comes to being aware of your own weaknesses finding a complimentary co-founder casting egos aside asking for help and support as well. And so these are things that sometimes people find difficult to do, but the, the, the effect that they have is, as you've demonstrated, really, really powerful, really, really effective. How's, how big is the team now, Caroline? Um, well, we are now um, a very satisfactory nine um, within Natterhub. Um, we've worked with um, a team of... Um, about 35 with Twinkle Hive. I say satisfactory nine because, of course, um, working remotely means that we are now a lovely three by three on the on the uh, Zoom screen. <laughs> um, so um, it's it's been great. And to go back to your point about um, you know that being an entrepreneur and and I, I understand the pain of you know setting out and feeling that very very weighty burden of having to be the front person, the front, the front person of the, of the business and standing up on a stage, you know, practically begging for money mm. um, and feeling like you're really spilling your guts because you know the sacrifice that's gone on before you get to that point. Um, and then, of course, behind the scenes, you know, it's up to you to fix the photocopier when it goes wrong or, you know, um, take something to the, to the post office at, you know, five o'clock on a Friday evening. Oh, yes. Um, I think, um, I, I think it's, 
you know, it's, it is a very heavy burden in those early days. And, and you are, uh, certainly my journey was I, I felt I had to be everything all of the time. Um, and then when we came, we were fortunate enough to start hiring people. We really wanted to build a business based on that skill set and, and, and really welcome people into the team knowing that they were being hired because you can do a way better job at what you do than, than we can. And, and we've been really fortunate in that we've been able to build a business that doesn't feel, I hope that my staff would say the same, it doesn't feel hierarchical because mm. we, we celebrate those, those strengths and it's okay to to say, actually, I feel I find that really difficult. So I need to speak to Gemma about that, or I'm going to speak to, to Kitty because she'll definitely be able to help me. And so, um, I think it's just creating that cultural uh, that culture of of um, of not feeling intimidated to to ask for help, and that that's when you get the the best out of people. Yeah, most definitely, that's true. And this is a theme that does come up from people who who talk with us on the show here as well, uh, founders asking other people for help and people creating a culture and supporting a culture where, uh, you know, asking questions is good rather than asking yeah. questions is seen as a bad thing. Absolutely. And it takes us back, doesn't it, actually, to education and school, really, because yeah. sometimes um, people sort of think, oh, you know, I can't ask a question because I'll sound stupid, actually. Yeah. Asking a question is such a good thing in terms of wanting to know what the answer is. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things as well that, you know, um, in, a, in the world of Instagram that we live on and uh, the, 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 you know, inspirational quotes, yeah, that's the kind of thing that, oh, yeah, asking questions, you know, is, is so important. But I think for so many people, that's where it ends. It's just an inspirational quote and, and a wistful kind of, oh, I wish... You know, I wish I could be more like that, uh, which is, is, is crazy, as you say, that, that um, you know, the reality is so often different. Um, and it seems like such a simple formula, um, mm. but I think it does echo very much um, of um, certainly our company's educational philosophy, which is, you know, learning is about failing. And um, if you don't fail, then you will never really learn. Um, and, and really to, to have a, a safe space, because if, if people feel safe, if, certainly if, if children feel safe in a, in a classroom, to be, uh, you know, who they are and how they are and, and celebrate their strengths and, and acknowledge their weaknesses, then you've really got a forum and a... a for 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 personal and and academic growth yes most definitely and that takes us right round back to um a key reason for natahub to exist you know you knew there was a need for what you do you could see that you had witnessed that you observed the case but you have recently published the results from some research findings 15,000 pupils anonymously participated. They came from a couple of thousand schools, giving you some details about their online habits, but their online experiences as well, and how they feel about the internet and social media. Now, there are quite a lot of different stats and data within this. What, what did you found, find most shocking or surprising, Caroline? I think... In brief, I think the thing that I find most shocking and surprising is the fact that 
people are shocked and surprised by it. Mm -hmm. um, I think really um, the thing that struck us the most when we started researching um, about current online safety and media literacy skills um, was that what adults think children are doing online is so very different from what's actually happening online. Um, children are using technology in such a such a way that many adults have never had experience of and it's more meaningful to them than perhaps it is to their parents um, and certainly their grandparents. Um, and so there's this disparity of understanding and knowledge about being online. Um, so once you, you know, you open the can, and I, I, I'm tempted to say can of worms, but it's not all negative. Um, it's really, what's really blindingly clear is that um, there is just this gaping hole <laughs> between, um, and of communication, a gaping hole of communication between um, what, how children are using and interacting with technology and, and what parents and, and carers um, perceive is, is happening. I think, um, so when we designed the interactive lessons within Nata Hub, we, um, we intended to include uh, anonymous polls within the lessons so that as the teacher is working the way through the lesson, these questions will pop up and, uh, and children vote anonymously. And what we wanted to, to do is create a visual for the teacher to be able to then discuss those results without singling anybody out. So, for example, one of the questions is, you know, um, have, you, have you seen, uh, you know, cyberbullying um, online, for example? Yes. And the children will be able to reply anonymously. And we wanted teachers to be able to have updated, relevant um, knowledge about their children's experiences so that they can then unpack and discuss that. So those statistics that we've released in our data and impact report come from um, a range of those poll questions, of quiz questions of research that we've done in schools um, and we've just collated it all together really because we wanted to air that 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 youth voice which we feel is really important um, so that anybody working in that space or anybody interested in in children's now very blended childhoods could really understand how it is to be um, living a, a life or a childhood you know both with and through technology yes. and and I suppose um, you know they they do reflect the recent um, pandemic as well, those, those results. Um, certainly, you know, when children were voting on, the, you know, the, their preferred way to communicate, we've had an alarming statistic about just, um, you know, less than a quarter of children choosing face-to-face. -face. I am really interested to see how that statistic will change, um, you know, in the next 12 months, for example. Um, but yes, I think what, what's startling really um, as a result of those statistics is the normalizing of negative behavior um, online and, and expecting to see negative behavior online. And, and you know, really the, the events of this week post the, you know, Euros football oh, yes. um, really goes to show that even though... Um, 
you know, I have to believe that it's the minority, um, the belligerent few um, have a very loud voice um, in, in a space that children are very much inhabiting mm. and, and children are influenced by, by, you know, what they perceive to be normalized adult behavior. Um, and I, and I think it's, it's more important than ever that we bring those conversations back into primary schools so that we can embed, you know, what good online safety, what good online use looks like, um, how important it is to be open-minded and respectful and kind, really raise the profile of compassion and, and, and empathy and, 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 and give children a, a role model that they can't, we can't seem to find in the media, um, or certainly, of course it is there, but, um, you know, the, the media so easily clings onto the negative aspects so yes. which is why we'd like to to bring that back into the classroom well this makes absolute sense and then bolster children's knowledge and resilience and safety um, and awareness so that they can have a healthy digital life rather than a digital life marred with toxicity and a digital life which is damaging to them and damaging to other people as well so, so caroline i mean this has been a comprehensive fascinating tour of nasa hub before we sign off is there anything else that you'd like to talk about first of all with regards children's online experience and then secondly or the and or is about nasa hub and your entrepreneurial journey so you can answer either one of those or even both of them if you like <laughs> thank you um well, I think, you know, for, for a long time, online safety has been a bit of a tag on that perhaps, you know, certainly, and this is not a criticism of, of parents and teachers, because I am both of those things. Yeah. Um, and I understand the, um, the, the concerns about children being on a screen, but then the not really knowing where to start in supporting them online. So online safety has for some time been a bit of an add-on um, as a, oh yeah, and we better tell you to create a good password and, and don't talk to strangers online. And I, I really feel that these the messaging, the regularity of this messaging is not prevalent enough in our daily conversations, our weekly sessions in schools of, 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 of how it's, of how it's has been historically managed to to, to match the, the prevalence of technology in our lives and the fact that children are spending several hours a day on average on screens. Um, I think online safety as a term, I'm not particularly fond of it, although of course I use it frequently, but I, to use the swimming analogy that we mentioned earlier, I think online safety is a bit of you know, throwing a, a life ring in, you know that, you know, we seek to be in water, to play and have fun, go on holiday. It's really good fun. But of course, if you don't know how to swim, it's, it's potentially life-threatening. Um, mm. And to use that same analogy, you know, online safety is, is kind of the, 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 the life ring. Uh, you know that you'll stay on top of the water, you can bob around, it can still be quite enjoyable, but you're safe, your head's above the water. Whereas, I really want to push online safety towards 
media literacy because I think it's such a more empowering term. I think it's the difference between having a life raft and um, a life ring and, and learning how to swim yeah. um, so that you can really thrive in that environment. And I think the fact that we put our children on screens um, now much more um, willfully than perhaps before the pandemic, we, we recognize that they need technology in order to continue learning. They have to have the critical thinking skills. They need to be on that technology. Then, then I feel we, we need to acknowledge they have a right to have the necessary media literacy in order that they can live a happy and successful life, both with and through, through screens. Thank you. And anything you want to add on your entrepreneurial journey? I think the stickability to hang in there and to make sure you have a partner, whether it's a personal partner or whether it's a business partner. I'm really so lucky to have both um, both of those people who will, when you're feeling like you've just run out of steam, um, I know that Manjit will always be the person. We play kind of tag team with that. <laughs> we've got this. Come on. We've got this. It's not even a thing. Just come on. We've, we can do this and we'll, we'll you know, take a deep breath and, and, and keep going. And certainly my husband does that regularly as well. So mm. I think having that stickability and having, but having the awareness, the self-awareness to know when you might need to adapt, uh, to shift direction, to, to react to something that's either come up like a pandemic um, or, or whether um, your product needs tweaking, your MVP needs to be adjusted to really meet the needs of the problem that you're addressing. Yeah, sage advice there. Fantastic. Thank you. Caroline, can you give out the website address for Natterhub so that uh, we folk can find it? It's really easy. Uh, it's natterhub.com. Um, and we are also on social media at, at Natterhub. Um, so we'd really welcome any, um, any feedback, any communication, um, any any kind of potential um partners for anybody who who might be interested in in the space that we're addressing um because we're absolutely aware that um you know great things can happen when like-minded people come together and and we really want to be a part of that that important network so happy to speak to anybody fantastic well caroline allams thank you so much for joining us on business live today thank you so much for having me i really appreciate the time we're open for business life. Caroline Allams there of Natterhub. Fascinating conversation with Caroline. I found that really interesting and I hope you did too. This is Business Live, Sheffield Live's weekly show for curious entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs. I'm Jamie Veach. We're broadcasting on FM radio, online and of course through your podcast platform of choice. So if you don't subscribe to the show then you can do. Look us up, Business Live, Jamie Veach, Sheffield Live, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, other podcast apps, of which there are many and varied. You should be able to find us. And it's fabulous if you do subscribe because it means you never miss an episode of the show and our wonderful guests. It's Friday the 18th of March 2022 as this programme goes out on FM Radio Online and as a podcast. It is a rebroadcast episode that was the Caroline. She was on the show last year. Loads of people said they found that really helpful. They found her tips, her journey, 
her advice, very, very useful. So we've put her on the programme again. And of course, since then, since she was last on the programme, we have interviewed Manjit Sareen, Caroline's co-founder in NASA Hubs. And that was really fascinating too. You can find that in the podcast of the show. Look up Business Live, Shefford Live, Jamie Veach. You should be able to find it. Quick flag up, Sheffield Live has been interviewing a Ukrainian journalist and IT worker in the frontline city of Konotop. She has spoken with Sheffield Live about how the war has affected her and her family. Ola Paradera has been talking with Sangeeta Basadev for Sheffield Live, and if you haven't heard those interviews, find them on the Sheffield Live website, sheffieldlive.org. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks ever so much for listening to the programme. Thank you, Sheffield Live, of course, for putting us on air. And we'll be back next Friday. Sheffield Live. Made in Sheffield. Made by you. This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life.